Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 173. You've got Chris and Brian, and this time around, we're going to look at some of what are the gimmicks or the latest, greatest things. The is it really the, worth it? The newest versions of the Acme 9000 widget. Yep. yep, yep, yep. Uh, when it comes to pistols uh, for concealed carry and whatnot. And then looking at are, are any of these things actually worth um, getting involved with? Yeah, there's a, so guys, there's a, the, the gun industry is like any other industry. Um, the, the, they're always trying to sell you something. So the manufacturers out there are always trying to come up with the newest, greatest thing to catch your eye. Um, and sometimes there are paradigm shifts in, in design and stuff like that. Sometimes there are guns that come out that are, that are truly, you know, they're different and they're different for a reason. And you can actually articulate what it's doing for you. Um, and I'm going to step back and you guys are going to go, Oh my God, here go the Glock guys again. Uh, but Glocks going with the striker fire gun, striker fire gun, wasn't a new idea. The polymer gun wasn't a new idea. The striker fire polymer gun was not a new idea. HK did it first. There might've been somebody before them that I'm not aware of. Um, but there was a V series gun out there a long time ago. Um, Glock basically took something super, super simple and came out with something new that actually worked and did something that was less complicated, cheaper to make and easier to use, uh, and cheaper and easier to maintain. And it worked. Um, the, the industry uh, about, I'm going to say one in 10 or maybe even one in a hundred ideas that they come out with are actually ideas that are a little bit better than something else that previously existed. And then there's nine or 99, whichever number you use, um, that are just kind of fluff. They're just kind of, Hey, this is bright and shiny. Ooh, look at me. Um, kind of things. Um, and then there are degrees of usefulness in between with some of these things as well. So I'll just say that they don't do anything. It's just, is the you know, is the, is, the, is the steak worth the sizzle kind of conversation? Is it worth paying for kind of conversation? So one of the things that is super, super, super hot right now, um, comps, comps and ported pistols, probably comps more than ported pistols. Yeah. Um, so uh, let, let's talk just briefly about a comp versus a port, okay? A, a port is a hole drilled into the barrel. Um, there are a couple different ways to make a port in a gun. Generally, ports in the gun are just cut straight through the barrel because the barrel's a tube, and if you're only taking out a certain section of the barrel's wall, um, the bullet maintains integrity. Maybe you get a little bit of like shaved copper or shaved lead off the bullet as it goes down the barrel. Maybe you give up a little bit of velocity, but the idea being you're redirecting gas pressure to attenuate recoil, hopefully, is the idea. Um, there are guys out there that are porting barrels that are back boring them so that you're not shaving off metal. Why would we worry about shaving off metal? Um, there's a Craig Douglas ECQC video out there uh, where they're shooting from retention. The gun's tucked high into your rib cage, uh, magazines touching you, barrels rolled out, and running retention, basically retention distance type drills. And a couple folks running ported guns had slivers of copper sticking in their cheek. And thank God we're wearing These their were, big Oakleys. Um, Smith & Wesson Shield Performance Center editions from like four or five years ago. And and I think they've also they had similar results with some of the comp Glocks uh, or ported Glocks, some of the legit like the, like the C's and the stuff C's. like that, um, where you know you're peeling a, a chunk of copper off of the off of the projectile and pushing it out of the port hole with hot gases at high velocity and it's sticking into your skin and in this case this was a training environment so everybody was wearing appropriate wraparound eye pro um, so nobody got blinded by it and so you know kind of that conversation around um, you know a ported gun is is it you know if you're in your first gunfight and you end up shooting the gun but you go blind because you put a piece of copper into one of your eyeballs is that really a good thing to have with you and then there's also a conversation about crap getting in the gun and stuff like that 
And, and for a concealed carry, maybe that's less of an issue. For a gun that's in a holster, that's less of an issue. And since handguns are typically defensive tools, not offensive tools, we're not typically running around with them out. So, um, but be aware of those risks. A comp is a device that you put on a gun that generally the bullet does not interact with. It only interacts with the gases and redirects the gases, again, to help attenuate recoil. Um, both of these conversations bring us to the, is it worth it? Is, is putting something on your gun that can come loose, uh, that can create a malfunction. We've seen comps mounted improperly and cause malfunctions. We've seen comps come loose and cause malfunctions. Um, I, I've never seen it happen, but I can, I mean, I've seen it happen with rifles where a muzzle device has come loose, uh, but not off the gun. And, and the bullet was hitting the muzzle device. It got blown off the gun. If there's a safety concern there. You know, you're fragging yourself with part of your own bullet or part of your own muzzle device. Um, you know, all, all these different things. And then we start talking about the pressure needed with most common handguns. Um, one of our friends kind of educated me to this and was talking about nine millimeter major handguns for USPSA competition. Open class. Yeah, open class. He's running a $5,000 comp gun that's got a port on it. And, and kind of the conversation around that was if you're not running plus P plus ammo, you're not generating enough gas pressure behind the bullet to make the comp do a whole lot. Is it doing something? Sure, it's always doing something. Physics is at work. There's no avoiding physics. So expanding gases, bouncing off of a metal plate or a metal surface that's going to push the gun in the direction you want theoretically, um, you know, it's going to do something, but is it is it worth it? And that's where we get into conversations. And you guys have heard us talk about, um, you know, running a, a, a comped small gun in 9mm. Um, what are the disadvantages of the comp? What are the, where are the failure points? And then what are the advantages of it? Um, the, you know, when, when the Craig Douglas video came out a couple years ago, uh, a big name in the firearm industry kind of gooned up and, and kind of said, you know, well, it's just gases coming out, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, that's with a ported gun or with a comp gun, but not with a ported gun. And so being aware of the difference between those two things and the risks, the reward over it, is it really there? But then also looking at how hot of ammo do you have to run to attenuate recoil, A, which in a competition environment, it might be the right tool for the job. Where yeah. we start talking about thousands or hundreds or a second might win a match. And if you're you're running jailbait splits, 13s, 15s, 17s, or whatever, that that might be the difference between you and the next guy and winning the match. And in a real-world environment, you're visually probably can't process better than 0.25. And so is it really a big deal to have a comp on your gun to help you drive those splits, especially with some of the drawbacks like flash, maybe being pushed up in front of your face, being a distraction in a low-light environment, maybe affecting your ability to see well, uh, different things of that nature. Is, is, it, is it really worth it? And so we go around and around about this. Um, the comps are definitely the newest, sexiest thing on the guns. So are optic guns, you know, so are yeah. guns cut out for optics. I can, I can show you a tangible differential in the advantage over an optic. I think most people in a defensive encounter aren't going to realize the advantage of a comp. But on the range, in a competition environment, they very well may. So what are you buying the tool for? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's, and, and again, understanding too. Some people are doing this, some of the manufacturers or some of the guys out there doing aftermarket work are doing this in a different fashion where you're not seeing, when you backbore the barrel and you make it so the comp is downrange, or the, the port is downrange of the rifling, then the bullet's no longer touching the barrel, you're still getting the effect of the gases getting pushed in different directions, but you're not getting the drawback of pieces of the bullet being shaved off and cracking you in the face. Yeah, but it, it almost becomes more of an integral compensator. Yeah, exactly. Than yes. actually having ported the gun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it kind of a kind of a, a, a 
there's a nuance there. It's a nuanced distinction. Yeah. Uh, there's a difference, but you know, it depends on who's doing it and how are they doing it. And then back to the why, are you really getting that much out of it for the, for what you want the weapon for? If it's a toy or a tool to go shoot competition, great. It gives you an advantage. Okay, cool. If it's something you're going to carry around on the street. Um, and there are some weird things out there. Um, I've actually seen a couple photographs, um, that were from classes, training environments, guys running comps where, a bullet bounced off of something and bounced back as the gun recoiled. It landed between the comp and the front of the slide. And you had a malfunction that was a way non-standard malfunction that, you know, if you're a squared away shooter, it's a stovepipe. You're just reaching out further to clear it. Um, but if it's not where it's supposed to be to clear it, you know, it's just that, you know, could, could that half a second matter? Yeah. It sure could. And so why put yourself in that position? And then never mind seeing the stuff come loose and create malfunctions. We've seen that a number of times within our own tribe. There have been a couple different times where guys run at different devices, have had the device shut the gun down, and we've referred to it in the past as unglocking your Glock, um, putting all the sexiness on something, and then finding out that when a screw comes loose, it's kind of like an angel pissing in the paint of your flintlock. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Or what kind of reliability problems does this create on a tilting locket type design? Yes. Once it gets dirty, because uh, yep. we are adding weight to the end of the barrel. Yeah. So now the barrel can't move as freely or as easily as it could originally. And, and weight, and, and also, like you said, you start getting carbon buildup, you know, somewhere in that system. Is it interfering how that comp locks up with the front of the slide? Does it impact the front of the slide? But then when it gets dirty, if it didn't previously, now does that slow things down, etc. And I, I just, you know, would say there's a cautionary tale around staking your life on something like this, because I think you're making the system unnecessarily complicated or adding another complication to the system. The analogy I might throw out there is like Glock MOSs versus having the gun milled. For a specific optic you're adding a layer in there with an interface plate it's two extra screws to come loose the comps usually have screws or are threaded on or something like that and when the system starts to go because you made it more complicated you have to diagnose that and work through it um, and if it shuts the gun down that sucks yeah. so um, along with some of those conversations with you know I don't know if there's any more you want to add to like you know ports comps etc but that's kind of a brief overview explaining the you know, why we think it's great for a competition tool. That's awesome. It's great for a range toy. Um, they look sexy as hell. It's really neat looking on a gun. It's super futuristic. But are you getting enough out of it for it to be worth the risk? There's a risk reward there. Yeah. I mean, my, my take is it's kind of like buying a new set of irons to go golfing. Or instead of taking a lesson. Instead of taking a lesson and learning how to use your existing clubs. Yep. Uh, if you feel you – I think most shooters, again, if you're not chasing – you know, area championships or national championships. Yep. And USPSA open class where you're running ammo hot enough that it'll blow up a Glock if you shoot it in one. Yeah. Uh, you're probably a lot better off learning how to properly grip the pistol. Yeah. Uh, maybe adding a little bit of skateboard tape or some talon drips. Yep. Or doing some stippling so you can get a better purchase on the gun. Yeah. Um, you know, really learn how to grip the gun hard uh, will solve problems with all guns um it won't be just like oh i have to have my magic pistol to do well on this particular drill exactly exactly um so looking at pressure conversations and then and then extrapolating that out to other systems um one of the things that we see a lot of people you know with with the we're going back into the summer summer love president poopy pants is doing dumb stuff um the vagina hat wearers are going crazy there's all kind of protests. sounds like yesterday right exactly yeah <laughs> So, you know, so things are starting to get a little weird again. So summer of love 2022 coming up, um, you know, we've got people coming back in. They're looking for small guns they can have with them all the time. The conversation comes up around revolvers. 
Um, so I'm going to talk real quick about pressures and revolvers yeah. and working your way down. Um, a 357 Magnum revolver with a six-inch barrel is a brilliant defensive tool, sheerly from an efficacy standpoint. Um, Google the name Ed Sanow and start reading. Uh, there's a lot of did a lot of research back in the day. Not super scientific research, but drawn together a lot of shootings, a lot of data. 357 Magnum, if placed halfway well out of a six-inch barrel gun, stops a lot of fights really quick. Um, having said that, a 22 in the right place stops it pretty quick too. So, understanding these things, going taking that six-inch 357 Magnum and dropping it down to an inch and seven-eighths or a two-inch 357 Magnum pistol. Um, it still is going to give you more juice than a 38 Special or a 38 Special Plus P, but the magic of a 1300 foot per second 357 Magnum projectile starts to be lost because you don't have the barrel length to burn the powder. So you start getting into a lot of recoil. Um, and again, big fireballs, big fireballs, a lot of recoil, and you're still getting better efficacy than you would have out of a 38 Plus P, assuming everything else is the same, i.e. the projectiles, projectiles engineered well, etc., and will work at whatever velocity. Um, Dropping down to a 38 Special plus P, um, again, you're getting a lot of recoil out of a small gun, a uh, fair amount of muzzle flash out of a small gun. Um, going to standard pressure ammo, you're losing a lot of velocity out of a you know two-inch barrel. And then you get down to the lowly 380, and I can't tell you how many times I hear guys say, you know, well, they're not 38 snub, but what about a 380? Well, I didn't carry no 380. And it's like, dude, it's the same, same diameter bullet, maybe not quite as heavy. Mm. Probably the same difference between a 9mm 115 versus a 9mm 147. You're splitting hairs if you put the bullets where it's supposed to go. Penetrative issues when you start talking about 38 special and a two-inch barrel versus 380 ACP out of maybe a three or four-inch barrel, like in a Smith Shield EZ. Um, all of a sudden, 380 becomes a little more interesting round because it is fairly high pressure. So, looking at advantages, disadvantages, and and the whole conversation around having the gun on you and having more bullets in the gun. Um, you know, you look at these pressure issues and stuff like that. The, there's some extrapolation that needs to be done and some data that needs to be looked at about where what projectile you're actually ending up with, because a 38 special of a two-inch barrel may not, especially a light bullet, may not have much more umph than a hot 380 out of a three-inch barrel. Yeah. So kick those things around. Do your research. Um, don't trust the fat guy behind the counter at the gun store. You know, do do some digging on your own. Um, you know, Greg Elifritz has a lot of really good information, information around, you know, what some might call mouse guns. I don't think a 380 auto or a 38 special is a mouse gun. I think the ammo capacity is suboptimal, but it's way better than a sharp stick kind of conversation. So, um, that same conversation translates even more harshly into the Taurus judges, um, and the and the governors and the guns of that nature where you take a shotgun and you try and push a shotgun out of a four-inch barrel, even a six-inch barrel, number one, a judge, Taurus judge, chambered in 410 with a six-inch barrel is a jihungus gun. Uh, and you are way better off just loading it up with 44 special or 45 long cold or whatever yeah, the hell it's... Long cold. Whatever, yeah, whatever it takes. You're probably way better off just loading it up with 45 long cold. And then there's an argument that you should have just bought a 45 long cold to begin with and gone on. But, but, um, shotgun shells in general will just, were designed to shoot out of 18 to 20 or 24 inch or 28 inch barrels. Running a four or six inch judge, you are not developing the velocity you need. You don't have a long enough tube to keep the pattern condensed. Um, it, 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 you generally just, don't have a choke on it. You, yeah, you generally don't have a choke on it. it. Well, is it a, are they, they're not rifled. 
Are they rifled? Do they have to be rifled? Uh, I honestly don't know don't because know. it's such a it's such a silly system that I don't I haven't paid any attention to it for decades. Um, if it's rifled, it's throwing shot everywhere. If it's not, it's a straight tube that's too short to keep the pattern tight. And everybody's like, "Well, it's an up close gun." Well, that's fine unless it doesn't penetrate. What's the disc though? Yeah, the di well, and none of it does. I mean, the the three double lot buck rounds maybe or the triple lots maybe yeah. in a four ten might penetrate maybe, but you have three pellets that are spreading out. At a, at a ridiculous rate, and if you even hit anything with it, now you're a liability to everyone else around you because you're flinging lead balls that you don't know where the hell they're going to go past about 20 feet, maybe 10 feet even. So, um, you know, looking at where, where all that pressure's going, to, because 410 generally was designed to be pushed out of a shotgun barrel, not out of a pistol barrel, um, you know, kind of some things that are like, just just not the best idea. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anything to add to that? Um, you actually did somewhat of an empirical test on this. Yes. Way back in the day. Yeah. Uh, that's probably worth worth noting or worth sharing. Yeah. Anybody who remembers Pete, um, one of Pete's buddies showed up at Big Darby Creek Shooting Range with a judge and thought it was the bee's knees. And, and Pete went into one of his Vietnam-era um, apoplectic fits of how stupid Taurus judges were. And it was, it was pretty funny. Um, he went in drill sergeant mode or whatever. And, uh, and basically looked at me and just barked orders, you know, put up five targets 10 feet apart, 10, 20, 30, 40 feet. So I went out and put up five cardboard targets. Um, the, the customer slash friend slash whipping boy uh, slash poor choice maker uh, brought the gun out, shot the 10-foot target, it, as you would expect at 10 feet, uh, roughly a fist-sized little ragged hole in the target with one of the discs still sticking in the cardboard. At 10 feet. At 10 feet. Uh, at 20 feet, same conversation, a little bit bigger pattern, um, and still a couple discs. And that, they, they were mixed loads. They're hybrids with pellets and discs. There was a pellet and a disc both sticking in the cardboard. 30 feet was a really weird anomaly, and I don't think the guy yanked the shot, but 30 feet, there's next to no impact on the paper. There were a couple holes in the paper. 40 feet was actually a better pattern, but there was still next to nothing on the target at 40 feet. And, and a couple things, and, and like one of the pellets, the one or two pellets that hit it didn't go through it. They just stuck in cardboard. At 50 feet, it was completely blank. Um, the moral of the story is not necessarily that the pattern opens up too fast, because if you want it as a close-range gun, then you've got your argument. The moral of the story is that basically 200-pound test cardboard is about as dense as your skin. If you've ever been shot with a Sims round or a paintball round, generally, um, you know, or an airsoft round, if you shoot an airsoft round at a cardboard target and it zips straight through it, do not shoot at your buddies with that unless they're unless they're padded up, uh, because it will go under the skin. I've had to pick airsoft mm. pellets off underneath my skin. Um, same thing with Sims round. Talk to go do Sims. They'll tell you they've had this, you know, pop what they call simunition zits, uh, where they pop the plastic off underneath their skin. If, if that projectile will penetrate a target, it'll generally penetrate your skin. These weren't even going through that. So now you take a big dude and, you know, picture anybody you want who's in that like six foot, you know, 250 or six foot four or 300, and you start shooting them with this kind of crap, and they're either, they don't know you're shooting at them, they're drunk, they're high, they're pissed, they're whatever, and you're not getting any penetration out of this, all you're probably going to do is piss them off more. Um, just not a good idea. And not small. Everybody says, I want a Bond Arms Derringer in 410. It's a pig. It's a chunk. I, I, I have actually handled um, probably axles on pickup trucks that weighed less than a Bond Arms Derringer in 44 or 45 Long Colt or 410. Um, maybe not a Ford, but a Chevy Axle anyway. Um, you know, so that kind of deal, you, you yeah. just, it, it's, it's just bizarre. 
Um, so I'll, I'll leave that right there. Uh, the, the three of you out there who still think the judge is a good idea, um, one of you said you wanted it for chipmunks inside your garage. Please, dear God in heaven, wear good eye pro because those little pellets are going everywhere. Um, I get how fun that might be after like 17 beers, but it's still just a bad idea. And the poor chipmunk, did he really deserve it? You know, I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. Anything to add to that? No. That covers that quite well. Um, Fote. Yeah. God's caliber, 45, 40. Um, if you're still having an argument about, you know, calibers 9, 40, 45, I, I, don't, I don't even know where to go with that. Yeah, all, all handgun calibers equally suck when compared to a rifle round. That's right. Uh, shot placement trumps everything. Um, thinking that, you know, we're back to it's a higher pressure round than 9mm, blah, 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 blah. It, it, it still is, you know, the, there's the velocity conversation, the sheer physics of a 1mm bigger bullet. Um, is not changing the world. Uh, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna wake up the next day and the sun's gonna be a different color because you switched to 40 caliber. It just it doesn't happen that way. And the same thing with 45 ACP. Shot placement trumps everything else. Um, you know, as long as you're using a modern defensive caliber with the best ammo you can afford for defensive use, and learning how to put your shots where you're supposed to put it, I still think the the differential and the cost of ammo is worth it to stay with nine millimeter if for no other reason. Mm -hmm. Never mind recoil how hard it is on the gun, et cetera, and, and capacity change. I, I, I just think just the price and training ammo differential is worth is worth just staying with mine and going on. Yeah, I think when you start looking at, you know, hit factor on a target, so hit factor scoring, we're talking about points per second. Yep. Uh, you have a lot higher hit factor with 9mm than 40. For most shooters shooting not open class guns or yeah. not, yeah. you know, race guns. Yeah, and understanding that lather, rinse, repeat, um, on the bad guys, what stops bad guys? It's multiple yeah. hits in the right place quickly. Um, if I can recover from recoil, I, and if you're a goon, then you can smash the shit out of the gun and shoot it stupid fast. You'll still shoot better if you train more. So we're back to price of ammo and and not a big enough differential in efficacy on target to have a serious conversation about it. Uh, yeah. You know, so learn how to shoot what you're carrying and carry something you can train the hell out of and go on. Yeah, you know, we look at the history of forty. Uh, it really grew out of, you know, again, the FBI not knowing how to actually train their agents to hit what they were shooting at yeah, uh, in stressful situations. Uh, so they decided to come up with a widget yeah, instead of solving a software problem. Yep. Yeah, definitely. A so and, and curiously enough, that's probably changed a little bit uh, since Miami. Um, but yeah, you know, you, they, they had the Miami shooting, the, what, the Platinmatics were the bad guys. Yeah. Um, and, and the FBI agents kind of showed up in a really casual way. Um, undergun and got their asses handed to them, unfortunately, because there were lives lost for the good guys that day. Um, and so, but they did learn from it and they did some crazy things like go to 10 millimeter um, and found out really not very many people could shoot 10 millimeter effectively. Um, I, I still think 10 millimeter is a brilliant caliber for law enforcement in the right environment, but it's got to be the right person who can actually handle it. And I'm back to, I can shoot a whole lot more nine millimeter. Um, but the conversation was Tim Miller is breaking guns and making shooters scared of guns. And at that point in time, the FBI was probably looking a little more into hiring accountants and attorneys and not meat eaters. Um, so that was the big issue. So basically they cut it off by about, I don't know, I, I don't know what three sixteenths of an inch or a quarter of an inch or something, something like, like that. that. And basically took it down to 40 caliber. Hence the joke, 40 short and weak versus 10 millimeter, best millimeter, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but 40 cal, you know, that's where it came from. And and now, and as of years ago, I don't know, almost a decade ago, the FBI transi started transitioning back to 9 millimeter, um, seven, eight years ago anyway. Yeah. So, And most of law enforcement is following along, realizing that there's it's not doing anything for them. So, 
Um, so, you know, and if you have a 40 caliber gun, and I've got a couple guys that are LEOs who have 40 caliber guns and have just stockpiled ammo, hey, that's fine. Absolutely. Keep it, train with it, do your thing. But at some point, when it's time for a transition, you know, throw in a 9mm barrel, make sure it works, grab some 9mm mags and press on. If it's a Glock or any of the guns you can yeah. do that with, definitely a good way to do business. So, um, so we kind of covered snubbies, we kind of covered ported guns, pressure guns versus magnum guns, you know, advantages, disadvantages, and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, I, you know, we, we can kind of, I'm, I'm going to step off the reservation just a little bit, pushing out into um, the shotguns, like the Mossberg Shockwaves, uh, the the Remington Tac whatevers versus a, a true longer barrel shotgun. Um, not quite the same conversation as the Taurus Judge, you know, versus a 20-inch hunting 410, um, but a Shockwave or a Tac 14 versus uh, something with a little more barrel length. Um, the, you know, when you have a 14-inch barrel, you can probably keep the shot pattern small enough for government work at close range. Uh, when you start talking about trying to deal with, with human factors inside of confined spaces like homes, rooms, maybe, um, you know, in and around vehicles, etc., um, the, the, the shockwave is an interesting conversation. A uh, little bit different from the pressure perspective where you put in enough velocity, you're putting the same shot load on the target, and at the kind of ranges we're talking, it probably doesn't matter a whole lot. Your pattern's spreading out faster, but again, at the kind of ranges we're talking about, it probably doesn't matter a whole lot. Where it does become a serious conversation is the ability to aim the weapon. Uh, the Shockwave is a 14-inch barrel, standard 870 or 500 receiver, but it has a special kind of grip on it called a bird's head grip. The length of the bird's head grip is what takes the gun out over whatever specified overall length and takes it and puts it in the in the other category um, and makes it legal to possess in... I think most everywhere in the U.S. now. Yeah. Ohio was a funky state a few years ago. Um, now we get into a conversation more around aiming the gun. And you do hear the conversations around, oh, you just point a shotgun, point down the hallway. Well, if you live in Edinburgh Castle uh, or maybe the Taj Mahal or someplace like that where you've got, you know, significantly long hallways, you're gonna, you, maybe you'll get pattern dispersed enough to be effective at some point. But the reality check is inside your most houses – if you have a 20, 30 foot hallway, that's generally a pretty damn big house. And if you're shooting down that hallway, it's not, the pattern's not going to open up fast enough that you can just spray it down the hallway. And then never mind again, back to the idea of, are you accountable, you're accountable for every projectile in that shotgun pattern. So be aware of that. Um, we shouldn't just step out on our balcony and fire off two rounds. Yeah. Yeah. The Biden special. Um, yeah. Just step on your balcony, crank a couple rounds in the air, find yourself defenseless. Um, God, what an idiot. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so you know, if you're if you're looking at the shockwave for the same price, generally you could step up to a 500 or a 590, um, it, you know, with sights on it, with a stock on it, etc., and do something like that and be and have a more effective tool. You can control the recoil better, follow up shots are faster. Running any kind of drills like select slug loads or changing out ammo or reloading the gun and stuff like that are a lot easier with the gun with the stock on it because you can control the gun better just a myriad of different reasons where it's going to be a better option. Um, the only Probably place going to be a lot more fun to shoot too. Oh yeah. Yeah. You definitely won't be as uncomfortable to train with. Um, you know, there are some arguments around the shockwave as a anti carjacking tool. Um, if you kept it in that narrow of a scope, that might be a good conversation, except we live in the U S and carrying around a short barreled shotgun. I know it's not technically an SBS, but carrying around an other shotgun in your vehicle um, isn't going to be covered under CHL, so having that loaded gun is probably going to create some problems in most jurisdictions here in the U.S. Um, and it's it's just it's not worth it. So it's just not it's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Uh, so, you know, again, kind of one of those conversations around um, the, the good idea fairy um, coming in and throwing something out there. The good idea fairy is trying to sell you stuff. Um, be aware of people trying to sell you stuff. Uh, people should be giving you advice and helping you make the best decisions. And if that ends up being a purchase, great. Um, but, you know, be aware of that and ask yourself the why of what it is you're buying. And then, you know, how that differential form factor affects or changes the gun and makes it more or less reliable, etc. So, yeah. Yeah. Guys, these are conversations that we love to have in the shop. Love to talk to people about the newest toys. Um, love to have conversations, even arguments. Sometimes guys get really butt hurt about comp guns and stuff like that because they've got a lot of money invested in them. But, you know, having that rational conversation around is where enlightenment comes from. And we'd love to talk to you about some of these different tools and see if maybe you've got a different perspective on it than we do or one we've missed entirely where you're saying, hey, actually, if you look at it from this angle or if you use that gun for this, um, you know, we, we want to learn too. And we'd love to have the conversation and kind of see where you're at about it. So if you're in the area, let's stop in and have that conversation. So that's all I got. Cool. Uh, as we get in inventory that we generally think is a good idea uh, and that we've probably proven to work, uh, we post these things up on our social media so you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, search for Cap City Outfitters. On Instagram, we are Cap City Outfitters 2. Uh, on our website, CapCityOutfitters.com, you can find information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at SilencerShop.com. Also, on the website, you can sign up for our email newsletter or send us an email to info at CapCityOutfitters.com. We will add you to the newsletter list. And then lastly, please come visit us at the store. Um, we're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. Um, we're here Tuesday through Friday during the summer from 10 to 5, and then on Saturdays 10 to 3, um, now through Labor Day. And we look forward to seeing you soon.